0: Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer, and this is Squawk Pod. On today's episode, Bill Ackman, activist, investor, and hedge funder now so involved in the fight against anti-Semitism on college campuses and all the backlash that's followed.
1: You're gonna go out there in the public eye and you're gonna make statements, strong ones, about issues that are controversial. You're gonna be criticized. Hopefully you're gonna be applauded uh, as well. When they go after your wife, you know that you're making some progress.
0: Why he took his Wall Street strategy to his alma mater and beyond, pushing for Harvard President Claudine Gay's resignation and urging donors of all institutions to speak up.
1: It's much more important, much more profound. It affects many more people. It's not just about a company, right? It's, it's about society.
0: The very active investor, donor, and tweeter responds to headlines and controversies. I'm not afraid.
1: I'm not afraid of being canceled. I'm not afraid of losing my job.
0: Plus, where Bill Ackman stands politically.
1: What left means today is not a party I want to be associated with. I was a Bill Clinton Democrat, and what the party has sort of morphed to is not something I want anything to do with.
0: And what he sees for Election Day 2024.
1: Trump will be our next president if Biden is the candidate, for sure.
0: It's Friday, January 12th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Bill Ackman is a hedge fund manager, and he's also one of the most outspoken and often emotional voices on Wall Street, an activist shareholder with a clear point of view and a bully pulpit. He has pushed some companies to shift governance. He's failed to do the same at others. And since the October 7th Hamas attack in Israel, Bill Ackman has taken his Wall Street strategy to America's most famous college campuses. He has become one of the most persistent voices on antisemitism, particularly regarding its presence at his alma mater, Harvard. You probably remember the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania testifying before Congress in December, facing lawmakers to discuss the uptick in anti-Semitism on their campuses after the Israel-Hamas war began.
3: What action was taken from Harvard when a Jewish student was mobbed on your campus last month? Action, not lip service.
0: Action, ma'am. As you may know, that is an incident that is currently under investigation by H.U.P.D. and the yeah. FBI. Any action? And when that and when action. that investigation is complete, so you can't we will answer. address I'm it on on to my student discussion. The appearances were not well-received. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer. Yes, Ms. McGill. Many, including Bill Ackman, took to social media. On X, he called for the resignation of Harvard's president, Claudine Gay, as well as the other leaders who testified. After that, it was a bumpy downhill for Claudine Gay. Accusations of plagiarism arose, leading her to step down over the Christmas holiday. UPenn's president, Elizabeth McGill, has also resigned. There are many twists and turns and controversies to Bill Ackman's activism in boardrooms of all kinds. Let's get to Squawk Box's Andrew Ross Sorkin, who was at Ackman's Pershing Square offices this morning, for a lengthy and occasionally contentious conversation.
2: Bill Ackman is here, and uh, this is your first major television interview uh, since this all began. Uh, We did talk once uh, briefly on Squawk. I think you had called in to talk about what was happening, uh, but in the past couple of weeks. That was about DEI, though. That was about DI. but uh, over the past couple of weeks, you have been active throughout on X, outspoken on all of these issues, mm-hmm. uh, especially as there have now, there have now been attacks uh, against your wife around the idea of plagiarism. Mm-hmm. I want to sort of just untangle all of this because I think people are trying to understand uh, what is motivating you, uh, how this all began, sure. uh, what you're trying to do. There are issues about DI and free speech and other things as well. Uh, But you have become one of the most uh, influential, uh, provocative, and polarizing voices in this debate. Mm -hmm. So let's start with where this began uh, back in October for you. It actually began before
1: October, and it began in this room. You know, this is our boardroom at Pershing Square. It also happens to be the place we host our Pershing Square Foundation board meetings, a board that my father was a member of. And literally every meeting, my dad would say, Bill, you're just not doing enough about anti Semitism. I think it's a really important problem. You need to focus on it. And I was very dismissive of my dad. Uh, I love my father. He passed away in May. You dismissed your dad. What did you say? I said, look, the Jews are doing great. I, I'm not experiencing, I, I don't see Jews experiencing a lot of anti Semitism. And we focus on economic empowerment. We focus on, you know, uh, enhancing people's ability to, uh, you know, uh, one acre farmers in Kenya, right. and things like this. Um, and then uh, dad. Uh, had heart surgery coming up and he was very concerned about it because it was kind of life or death and he wrote me three letters. One was here are my instructions. If I die you know, memorial service, etc. This is what I want you to do with your mom financial estate planning. The third one was like a long letter about anti-Semitism. He said, look Bill I want my last words to you to be this is something you need to focus on. And I didn't do anything to be honest. And then October 7th happened and it was really October 8th It was when 30-odd student Harvard student organizations, my alma mater, came out and said, the morning after the most horrendous, barbaric, terrorist acts uh, in history, at least in modern history, for sure, uh, they came out and said, you know what, it's Israel's fault. Israel's solely responsible for these horrendous, heinous acts.
2: And and then that was the beginning of this journey. And you have taken, dare I say, an activist approach to this. Yes. You've also been criticized for the activist approach. There's been some who have been very praiseworthy of what you have done in terms of pushing on these issues. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there has also been a remarkable backlash. Mm -hmm. And we're now seeing that backlash manifest itself in the attack on your wife as it relates to um, accusations of plagiarism. Yes. How has that made you feel? And has it changed your view about how to approach these things, because there's some who say this is this was really great, what you were doing. But there's others who say that you have taken it, to some degree, too far. And in fact, by being such a, a big figure in this conversation, that it actually has made it harder to get what you want. I disagree. Actually, I think, first of all, if you're going to go out there in the public eye and you're going to make
1: statements, strong ones, about issues uh, that are controversial, you're going to be criticized. Hopefully, you're going to be applauded uh, as well. When they go after your wife, you know that you you're making some progress. I mean, I feel very you know the worst of this is for Neri, who did no wrong, who said nothing really publicly, um, but uh, it means we kind of hit a chord, if you will. Look, I talked about it. You know, it started with anti-Semitism on campus. Uh, then, it, then I got concerned about governance at Harvard, uh, not just the president, but when the board, in my view, didn't do the right thing. Uh, then I broader concerns about higher education generally, and then you know the origins of anti-Semitism on campus. I think which which are Result from the so-called DEI uh, movement, um, and uh, you know I think these are very important issues, and these are issues that will require uh, resources uh, to be focused upon. And I'm, I would say, ex- I was extraordinarily committed before. I'm undeterred, uh, and uh, actually, I'm standing up an organization very shortly to focus on precisely this. You know, I, if you, uh, well, so just a, what's that organization going to do? It's going to be, I would say, you know, the problem with think tanks. They write a bunch of papers, nothing happens. I would say it's a it's going to be a think and do tank. It's going to be an activist. Uh, we're going to study these
2: issues, and we're going to come up with solutions to problems, and we're going to implement. And what are those issues? Is seen? this is about anti-Semitism, or this is about free speech, or this is about DEI, or all this the, is about governance? We're, all majorism? the above. All the above. All the above. So you
1: know, my you know, I have a day job, Pershing Square. My job, I love. And at the early days of Pershing Square. I, I paid my own bills. But you know what? That's not a good use of my time, so I hired some people to do that. I used to do all of my own philanthropy, but you know, that started to become a bigger responsibility, so I put together, set up a foundation, have a board of directors, hired a team. This you know I've done other initiatives like this. You and I were on TV to talk about child sex trafficking and visas, providing the payment rails, if you will, for pornography sites, um, or you porn. and um, it was a 30-minute interview and, and a few tweets.. Yep. This is a bigger project, and it's now, this kind of activism now requires you know, sort of a, a serious team. We've got uh, some extra space, I'll rent some space, I'll hire some people,
2: hire a CEO, put together a board of directors, right. and we're gonna go after these issues in a very aggressive way. I think there's a lot of people who are watching you write on X, almost by the hour, constantly. <laughs> Can you just take us inside both sure. uh, your, your own head on this, uh, your home? What this has felt like, mm-hmm. uh, because there's and there's an interesting dynamic at play, which is you have long been somebody who has attacked others in, in the context of, of, of activism, mm-hmm. and now in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, arguably you are being attacked, mm-hmm. and your a family's f- being attacked. I was attacked before. Remember,
1: if you're an activist short seller, you undergo the most aggressive attacks. Um, so I'm kind of a battle hardened person, right? MBIA tried to put me out of business. I did a pretty good job. Uh, you know. Sicking Elliot Spitzer on me years ago, if you remember that one, Mm -hmm. and then of course Herbalife was a, you know, to the end of the earth campaign. I would say on both sides. Um,
2: Is this different?
1: Yes, it's much more important, much more profound. It affects many more people. It's not just about a company, right? It's it's about society. It's about education. It's about free speech. Uh, It's about you know, not just higher education. It's about nursery school to you know K through
2: twelve education. Um, but take us inside your home, because part of this is about your wife yes. and about these allegations of plagiarism. Yes. One of the things that you did in the context of going after Claudine Gay was originally it was about anti-Semitism, then turned into a, an argument about governance and plagiarism on her side. Sure. Actually, it was always about, uh, I would say, leadership. And its lack of leadership, in my
1: opinion, led to the what started out as protests against Israel, then became protests it turned into anti-Semitic activity on campus, and I think that really that transformation happened because of a lack of leadership, a lack of enforcement of rules, um, and that's really uh, ultimately lack of moral clarity. You know, the, the, the catalytic moment where I said she should resign. And by the way, right. I said she should resign. I said President McGill should resign. Right, President Cornbluth from MIT should resign. Uh, and I, I'll point out, you know, one of them is black. One right. is Jewish, Christian. You know, this was a. A uh, diverse collection of people, I, I, uh, although they're all women. Uh, but there have been people that have accused you of being racist
2: in the context of fighting gay.
1: Unfortunately, today, if you criticize a person of color, regardless of the credibility of your accusations, you're, you know, you're going to be accused of being racist. And that's not right. right? Um, I'm an equal opportunity uh, criticizer. But I, I do want to get to the topic of, uh, let me yeah. explain. So that was the catalytic moment. And then that was December 10th, I think, or December 9th, that, that congressional hearing. And two days later, the Harvard board said we're unanimously in support of President Gay, and and then this whole plagiarism thing kind of erupted. It was sort of out there, and then more and more findings were found. And I reposted these findings uh, because at that point, I was happy for her to leave for any reason, right? I had failed to convince this board uh, on leadership, on moral clarity, on anti-Semitism on campus, and then this plagiarism thing started to get some legs. And it's not like I discouraged it. It was not. I I didn't look for it. It was found by uh, found by others. But in fact, I thought it was disappointing that she, what the perception that the catalyst for the resignation was plagiarism, as opposed to a failure to address anti-Semitism.
2: Let me ask you about the plagiarism charge, though. However, sure, which is now that you have been on the other side and your wife is being accused of plagiarism herself, sure, and you have uh, disputed that it is plagiarism. There's. You've argued around the idea and the definition of plagiarism. What does it mean to be able to cite somebody but not necessarily put quote marks around it? Uh, This is something that Business Insider has accused your wife of, but Business Insider has also tried to argue uh, that effectively it's very similar to what Claudine Gay Mm -hmm. had been doing. Do you have a different view now of this? Sure, so plagiarism
1: is fraud in an academic context. It's the most aggressive, the most damaging thing you can do to a professor other than accusing them of some kind of you know, you know, rape or se- some kind of sexual harassment or some kind of violent crime. So it's maybe slightly better than that. Uh, so it's a very serious crime. And it is f- for that reason, when a professor is accused of uh, plagiarism, it's a very serious process that, that goes underway to determine whether or not it's plagiarism. Now, it doesn't take six months, which is a typical period uh, for assessing whether a professor has committed plagiarism, to determine whether they had a footnote or quotation right. marks. It's about intent. Did the professor intentionally steal someone else's ideas? And one of the indicia, if you will, of plagiarism is you know, how, you know, where they're using someone else's words or they're not putting a footnote. The question is, is that an oversight or is that intentionally theft? And the things that you want to look at in determining whether or not it was intentional or not, you're trying to get into the mind right. of the person, is how pervasive is it? Right? And I don't know today, whether Claudine Gay committed plagiarism or not, because I, you know, I haven't done a six-month assessment of.
2: Oh, you were out there on Twitter saying she plagiarized. She shouldn't. Not only should she not be the uh, president of the university, when in fact she stepped down and they made her a member of the faculty. You raised questions about that based on the plagiarism accusation itself. What I said was, I said, in light of her what has been revealed
1: about her academic record. And what, we, what we've learned about plagiarism, I don't think she's qualified to serve on the faculty. And one of the things that came out, which I, again, I had never focused on Claudine Gay's academic record or plagiarism. But what I learned sort of after the fact is that she, she published 11 articles, not a dissertation, 11 articles uh, in journals. And it's, if you look at what's required to be a professor at Harvard, if you're in the field of social sciences, it's, that's a very, very small, very limited academic record. Six of those eleven papers had 51 right. missing quotations, but, you know, if you will, words. Still, I, w- I would say that doesn't look good. And there was a point in which, you know, her accusers were people who had been plagiarized from. This woman, Carol Swain, right. kind of a noted, uh, you know, uh, member of a, a faculty, professor, academic in her same field, said she took my work. Right. right? So that's maybe. Some and it was those words plus the, the record. I'm saying that you're rewarding her with a nine hundred thousand dollar year professorship. Right. I mean, it, the reality was that was a legal settlement. You know, uh, so I but I, I said so. But my activism on Claudine Gay. I don't want to distract from the fact it was about. And you know, just yesterday, and I just tweeted this out. There was a seventy three page complaint kind of uh, leveled at Harvard. Uh, I encourage everyone to read it, and it outlines some of the things I'd seen when I went up to campus and learned about. But a you know, it's basically 50 pages of anti Semitic acts on campus. You know, it's a bit like New York City. When New York City was a crime infested place and Giuliani showed up, the good version of <laughs> Giuliani, he instituted what people called the kind of the broken windows right. sort of theory. He cracked down on even small violations like the squeegee guys. What happened at Harvard is the, the uh, protesters kind of tested the administration. And then incrementally, they started violating more and more and more rules. And there were no consequences. And that's why they felt comfortable going into
2: University but you Hall. Are, you are now planning to, if you haven't already begun, uh, effectively scrubbing the records of professors everywhere, especially at MIT, because you believe that's where the accusations against your wife came from. No, that's to make a point. Okay, so just briefly on plagiarism.
1: So plagiarism is fraud. It depends on the intent and the degree to some extent. And... You know, getting back to nary right so nary's thesis 330 pages The business insider found four paragraphs okay where she had used words and uh and gave proper attribution without quotation marks four and then one sentence where she missed an attribution right. by the way the same person who she who she missed an attribution for she she referenced eight other times and properly referenced that person so right. again if i'm stick with me andrew it's important it's my wife Okay, okay, so if I'm, if I'm an academic panel assessing this, I would say, you know, out of the 2,700, you know, paragraphs, you know, four, uh, she had attribution, clearly not theft of intellectual property. There were nothing special about those words. It's not like quoting Shakespeare. Okay. Um, and there was one sentence. No one's going to conclude that that's fraud. Fraud requires, like, uh, scienter, right, intent, right, that she's, st- it's not even an important part of her thesis, right? So that's that's nary. Um, the problem with plagiarism, though, and the point I was making, is it can be weaponized. right? We're going to know, once we finish the, this review, how many other members of the MIT faculty have this problem. And if it's plagiarism, because we find a dozen paragraphs without attribution and you know, right. 300 other members of the faculty, that's, it, it right. makes, makes no sense. So what has to happen, to be mm-hmm. clear, one of the things our little institute is going to focus on, we, could, we should impanel a group of top scholars. And let's come up with a definition of plagiarism that's consistent right. with what makes sense. And by we're proving a point by showing, you know, if the standard is we find a missed footnote, you are a plagiarizer. Again, what right. Business Insider said is we found four paragraphs and a footnote, so Neri Oxman's uh, dissertation is marred by plagiarism. And then when Neri said, I they're right, there were four paragraphs and one sentence. And they, the next story they wrote, it was Neri Oxman admits to plagiarism. She didn't admit to plagiarism. She admitted to basically
2: right. a, cleric, a few clerical errors in a 30-page document. Are you, you going to okay. sue Business Insider, which, which we should say is owned by KKR, Henry Kravis, and you made calls, uh, given your stature in the world uh, and your relationships with some of these people, uh, that most people have no access to uh, when an article is published about them that they don't like? Well, the first thing we did, first thing I did, uh,
1: was called someone I knew on the business insider board but again this is why we're going to stand up this organization because unfortunately business ins I'm not the first person that business insider uh, or my my wife is not the first person that they've gone after falsely accusing them of something criminal okay or fraud uh, accusing my wife of fraud you know the 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 uh, twitter if you will or x is littered with you know everyone in the world is Talk to and me, they've accused, but, but they've uh, accused but,
2: you of being a racist. They've accused you of being a liar. They, people have accused you of fraud. You care about free speech. I do. But let me just, first of right. all, accusing someone of fraud is a very serious thing. Okay.
1: But you're right. The average guy is not going to pick up the phone and call Henry Kravitz on his cell phone or text him, which I did. Okay. And that's, it shouldn't have to be that I, that I call Henry Kravis. It shouldn't have to be that I- What did I, Henry Kravis tell you? He, I didn't reach him, so I sent him a text. Okay. And I sent him a text saying, I'd like to talk to you about something. It's all outlined in my TikTok right you read it. Um, you know, and then I spoke to a member of the board of Business Insider. And he calmed me down. He said, oh, they're doing an investigation. Um, I totally agree with you that plagiarism is not a series of clerical errors. In fact, I have this in a right. text in my little TikTok. So I thought, OK. I said, look, my only request is either withdraw the stories or announce that you're investigating them. And he said, I'll get back to you. But let me get back to my point. Yes, I have the ability to reach out to a lot of people. I'm one person i moved, or I know them directly. Um, But a lot of people's lives have been destroyed by media organizations writing a story that destroys a reputation, and they have no recourse. And that is a very, very bad, bad, bad way for the world to operate. And in a world where online media, the compensation for media is based on clicks. Right, The more attention you get, the more you can sell your advertising for. And that model drives people to do sensationalist stories with
2: high-profile people where they can say they commit crimes or with the wives of high-profile people. What about the facts themselves? And I just want to read you. This is Axel Springer, spokesperson, uh, talking to Puck yesterday, uh, saying, most people underestimated the way that Bill Ackman is completely losing it. That's what he said about you. Yes. And went on to say uh, that the facts of the story stand. Their argument, I believe, is that the facts are the facts, Uh, there's a a question potentially about the motivations which you've raised uh, about no, uh, no. the editors and the reporters who may have uh, pursued that story. Uh, I but- love that statement. Let me tell you, why I love that statement. Business Insider is a wholly
1: owned subsidiary of Axel Springer. It's probably a several hundred million dollar entity. Axel Springer is a multi-billion dollar entity. When Axel Springer says the facts in the Business Insider story are correct, after I put out my 54, 6,000 right. word thing outlining why the facts are false, the most material f- is, Nary Oxman admitted to plagiarism. Nary Oxman never admitted to plagiarism, okay? Axel Springer is now a recourse party,
2: if there is a lawsuit, which is where you started your question. I hope we don't end up there. We're gonna take a pause in this conversation because we have some data that's coming out, but uh, we're gonna come back to this conversation. We're gonna continue uh, to talk about uh, the world of activism. The political prism I wanna to talk to you about with which a lot of this is being looked at, uh, DEI issues, uh, and how you have thought about uh, the shift in all of this. So stay where you are.
0: Please stay where you are. Andrew stuck with Bill Ackman at the Pershing Square offices for an extended interview. We have still got much more to come, like where he sees the US election playing out.
1: My goal right now is to have good alternatives to Trump and Biden, that's my goal. But if those are if those are the choices, I'll make my, I make my decision then based on the state of the world, but I, I, don't, I can't imagine Biden, I, I just am stunned that he hasn't said he's stepping aside.
0: The two apparent options, plus the outliers, like Vivek Ramaswamy.
1: I expect you might surprise people. People think he's out of the race.
3: Maybe. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive...
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Today with Andrew Ross Sorkin's very special, very long interview with hedge funder and activist investor Bill Ackman. We're bringing it all to you now.
2: Welcome back to Squawk Box. We're continuing our conversation with Pershing Square CEO Bill Ackman. Uh, Bill, thank you for being here. I want to uh, just talk briefly, though, about the markets before we get back to uh, the Henry Kravis and plagiarism and free speech and anti-Semitism issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just saw that data come across the tape. Yes. Uh, where are you in terms of the markets right now and what you think is uh, happening or not happening? So on the bond markets, uh, I don't
1: know if you remember, I tweeted that at 5%, I thought the 30-year had kind of gone far enough. We right. actually reversed our position uh, and went sort of being short the bond market. We went long the five-year and the one-year, th- again, through these sort of asymmetric instruments at that time. You know, rates have come in a lot. Right. We've kept that position on because we believe rates are going to come in further. And I think the data point that came out this morning is sort of you know,
2: uh, confirmatory. Maybe there's three rate cuts uh, in the offering now, four? By the way, we had Larry Fink on in the 6 o'clock hour. He actually thought that we may not get those three rate cuts. Maybe it's two. Yeah, I think he's wrong. I think we have three or certainly. Remember, three rate cuts is 75 basis points
1: off of, call it five and a quarter, five and a half. That's not a, meaning, that's not a significant move. You know, three rate cuts would be like a 15% reduction in rates. Right now, we're you know, with inflation you know, cooling very right. meaningfully, the real cost of money is very high right now. So I think they're going to have to move early, and I think they're going to have
2: to move. Uh, so what does that it mean? Do, it do, we certainly do
1: more than three cuts.
2: What does that mean both to equities but to the larger economy as we look? Remember, we're in a presidential election year. Yeah. So I think it's good for equities as long as they bring rates down fast enough to avoid a meaningful recession. Uh, by the way, talking just for a moment, because I mentioned the presidential election, you have been quite active online uh, about the election. Uh, at one point, you were uh, supporting or at least uh, talking about uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, is no longer in the game. Um, but you've also talked, you know, you've been a longtime Democrat, mm-hmm. and you've been quite outspoken, it seems, against President Biden. And so, and I think a lot of people are trying to understand your politics today, given sort of where things have moved here.
1: Sure. So one, I've always been a centrist always believed in supporting who's ever best for the country, Republican, independent, Democrat. Uh, I think it's really important that Biden steps aside, says he's going to step down. I think he's you know, just on the age uh, past his prime issue. Uh, I think a good part of the reason why we have what's going on in the world geopolitically is he's perceived as a weak president,
2: and uh, he will be even weaker uh, in a year. Does that mean that you would vote for president, uh, former President Trump against President Biden right now? You know, I'll make that decision when
1: I have the choice, Um, but I would say what I'm hugely in favor of and actually coming here right after this interview is Dean Phillips. He's going to meet with the whole organization. Dean, a lot of people know who Dean Phillips is. He's a three-term congressman from Minnesota, considered uh, one of the most bipartisan congressmen, super capable uh, entrepreneur, Belvedere Vodka, uh, that that kind of uh, uh, Mm -hmm. high-end, what's what's it called, sorbet, but stick with me for a second. Uh, He's gone to 26% Uh, approval, or 26% of the vote poll in New Hampshire from nothing in a very short period of time. He's someone people need to take a look at. If Biden steps away, I mean, I'd love a world in which, imagine a world in which we have a capable, young, great, motivated, energetic person on the Democratic ticket, and we had something, you know, something similar on the Republican ticket, and you went to the polls, and you weren't sure who to vote for, because they're both outstanding candidates. I think Phillips could be very interesting on the Democratic side. And uh, you know my hope for Vivek was he was going to be that person on the Republican side. I, th- I expect he might surprise people. People think he's out of the race. Maybe. But if I think Haley is someone... What's interesting, I think, about Haley, and what I think is interesting about Phillips is that
2: I think Democrats and Republicans right. support can, can support either right. of those two candidates. But does that mean that you are, you're anybody but Biden at this point? And, and the reason I ask is you've also talked, I think, about uh, former President Trump being dangerous historically. And so... It, now you sound open to, to voting for, for former President Trump.
1: Uh, I, I'd like to... My goal right now is to have good alternatives to Trump and Biden. That's my goal.
2: But if those are, if those are the choices... I'll
1: which, make, my, make my decision then based on the state of the world. But I, I, I can't imagine Biden... I, I just am stunned that he hasn't step, said he's stepping aside. And that is very, very... He, he will lose... Is fair
2: to, to think I that mean, Trump vote will, for Trump for Trump
1: you? will be our next president if Biden is the candidate, for sure. That's, I mean, and I think... You know, as uh, Neil Ferguson has says, he says, uh, if Biden is uh, is president, uh, you know, we're in a very stick with me. Yes. His his view is, the, the U.S. is at grave risk with Biden staying right. as president geopolitically, um, but the Constitution's fine with Trump as president.
2: He'll keep us safe, but the Constitution's at risk. Do you think that, more, that's the choice. Do you think your politics, historically, which have leaned uh, to the left, mm-hmm. uh, have been a mistake? And I ask because part of the whole political prism with which the arguments around anti-Semitism and DEI and freedom of speech uh, it, on campus and in bigger institutions has is now seen that way. Do I was, you think you made a mistake? I think the de- what the Democratic Party,
1: what left means today, is not a party I want to be associated with. And I, I think that's been a big... Sh- I was a Bill Clinton Democrat. Uh, and what the party has sort of morphed to is not something I want anything to do with.
2: Do you want to have something to do with the
1: Republican Party? I'm. I don't want to be part of a party. I, want to, I, want to, I like being in the center and if and picking the, the right candidate. I, and I'm tired of the country being about right and left. I want it to be about what's right for the country.
0: Right. More with Bill Ackman still to come. We're diving back into his beef with Harvard and his beef with Business Insider and all his past campaigns on Wall Street. It's just, well, who he is. I'm a
1: fixer. Okay, right? What is shareholder activism? It's fixing companies. What is
3: this helping to
1: fix universities?
3: It's all the same. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast.
0: You're listening to Squawk Pod, and we're getting back to Andrew Roth Sorkin with Pershing Square founder and CEO, and activist shareholder Bill Ackman.
2: Before our conversation was paused earlier, yes, uh, we were about to talk about Henry Kravis, these accusations about Business Insider, which KKR owns, um, and whether you're going to sue them and sue him. Uh no. do you? Do you not going to sue? Him, not suing Henry Kravis. Let
1: me, let me just be clear. Business Insider put out this story. Okay, it's, it's a rogue news organization. Okay, that's what they are. I mean, check around. You probably know this already. They're owned by Axel Springer, which is the CEO of which is a real guy. Okay, he's a, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've had six or seven people close to me call me and say, Matthias, who's CEO, I think that's your computer I, ringing. Yep. <laughs> Embarrassing yep. for an anchor. You're supposed Thank to be good you. at this. By the way, if that, that's plagiarism. You're, you're toast. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, small little error. Um, but uh,
2: where, where were we? You were, yeah, I mean, you were, you were talking about Henry Gravis, You are talking ah, about Business So my insider.
1: point is, a- Axel Springer, I thought, was a legitimate company. Matthias is supposed to be a fantastic mm-hmm. person. But they're the control person, right? They own 100% or whatever right. management owns. They own substantially all of Business Insider. They're responsible for Business Insider's acts. And the best evidence right. of that is they put out this story. We've disputed it. They've confirmed that right.
2: it's... But do you think you <laughs> t- I guess my question is, do but, you think so you're my, t- my, t- my t- point here is, is this th- differently? Th- By the way, I wrote artic- I've written articles over the years. Yes. Uh, that you have objected to vehemently. We've had uh, disagreements about those articles and you have felt uh, in certain cases that they were unfair. I remember those conversations. Okay. Is this different to you? Yes. And is it different because of the facts or is it different because it's your wife? It's different because of the
1: facts and also because it's my wife but let's put it this way. If you were a story saying Bill Ackman admitted to insider trading, which is the academic equivalent of what they said about my wife, right. I would, certainly I would call you, but if you didn't change the story, I would go to your editor. If your editor wouldn't fix it, I would go to your, the president. Right. I would go to the ultimate control person. And that's what I've done here. First, we object to the story, to the business right. insider people. And when they do nothing, then we complain to the the, the Axel Springer Uh, management team or the board, and when they do nothing, then at the end of the day, Henry Kravis controls 48% of the vote of this company. With a phone call, he could fix this. So yes, the fact that this has gone on, it's now a week since this, more than a week. Thursday was the beginning when they said that her thesis was marred by plagiarism. Neri Oxman's thesis is marred by fraud. That's what they said. And then, and, and then the second story was Nary Oxman admits to fraud, i.e. plagiarism, right. right? The third story is like we found a bunch of other examples, which are completely right. fictitious examples. You have of said
2: that family is off limits. And uh, that's something you, you, you took to Twitter and you said historically uh, business people are not supposed to go after family. Yes. And yet there are numerous instances where you have gone after members of families as part of some of this activism, including around the universities. I want to just read you. This is Kara Swisher. Uh, on on X. She says, A-OK to attack the wives of MIT folks, we can get into this in a sec, of course, or talk about people being fired from jobs like it's a human hunt. Uh, And when economically attractive pals like Elon, uh, you know, uh, uh, go after uh, house speakers uh, or the husbands of house speakers, file all of this, she effectively says, under coseted billionaire cosplaying tough guy, getting a taste of the endless, uh, I won't use the word, uh, that rains down here on the rest of us serfs 24-7. What do, you, what do you make of that? Well, first of all, I've not gone on after anyone's wife. Like, give me, I thought, she's talking about Elon Musk. I don't think she's talking about Elon Musk. She's talking about uh, at MIT, uh, one of the board members, ah. the chair of the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, effectively said that the chair was uh, funneling money uh, illegally, at least for tax purposes. Let me, let me summarize. I can help you. I know the story better than you. Okay, so the chairman of MIT
1: is a guy named Mark Gorenberg. Mark Orenberg, uh, so I had an uh, MIT member of the faculty uh, shared with me. He said, Bill, do you think this is unusual? MIT is the only funder of this nonprofit, the CEO of which is the wife of the chairman of MIT. The chairman of MIT is the treasurer of this organization. And MIT in their 990 is listed, that's their IRS disclosure, as the only funder. I right. said, Bill, is this, what's with this? I took a look at it. And I said, how can this be? I tweeted about it. And then someone, a spokesperson, said, well, no, that's the MIT Donor Advised Fund. Right. And Mr. Gorenberg funded the money to the Donor Advised Fund, and the Donor Advised Fund funded the money to his wife's charity. That you know, so,
2: it means he's going after the wife. It's going to impact the
1: wife. No, 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 unless she's involved in the business. She is involved in the business. <laughs> okay? The business, by the way, and this is some little scoop we figured out recently. I haven't gotten around to uh, tweeting about it. The business is a DEI consultant. Mm-hmm. A non-profit DEI consultant. The wife also owns, apparently, a for-profit company. So you, the DEI consultant determines whether, or the non-profit determines whether, you're supposed to sign a pledge saying you're going to keep various DEI things, a bit like companies that run around asking for an ESG pledge. And then they have a service, which is a for-profit service, where they sell you product, services, software, or otherwise uh, to mm-hmm. enable you to Fine. fix your DEI problem. Right? This is the chairman of MIT. And unfortunately, his wife, who is the CEO of this business, I wasn't, the purpose here, I not, I'm not interested in the wife, but the wife is inextricably involved here. And the reason why this is tax fraud and has other problems is when, you're, you, can't, when you give money to a donor advised fund, the donor advised fund is not allowed to give money to something affiliated to the right. donor. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that this is MIT, right? Uh, MIT has sponsors, a couple of donor-advised funds, and the goal is to get donors to give money to MIT for affiliated things, and then also occasionally other things. This, you know, a Fidelity donor-advised fund, you could never do this. And the benefit to him is his wife. Even though MIT DAF is the only funder of his wife's charity, uh, they could. This could not. He couldn't give money directly and get the same tax deduction. That's the problem. So I, yes, I attacked the chairman of MIT. I thought it was fair game. Okay, in light of what kind of what's going on and he's putting at risk the tax exempt status of the right. donor advised
2: fund. A larger question though about your yeah. role as a both a donor uh, and an influential figure uh, in these in in, in these instances. Mm-hmm. There are some people who look at this and say what is, he, what is Bill Ackman ha- hat what is his right to be involved in in any of this? Maybe as a shareholder you are, but should we be listening to the quote unquote billionaire class, right? You've seen this crit- critique should we be listening to these people sure. over these people? And should, should the academics have more freedom and have more freedom from the money? Okay. What, do you, what do you make of that? Sure. So and by the way, this is becoming a bigger issue at Harvard now. I want to get into the Harvard endowment in a moment yeah. because that's the next piece of the campaign that you're going after. <laughs> so uh, the answer is, if you don't want to listen to me, don't follow me. That's number one. Um,
1: the reason why I can speak freely, and this is an unfortunate thing about society today. Today, if you say something that offend someone, you can lose your job. You can get blackballed. You can get canceled. It happens on universities. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of being canceled. I'm not afraid of losing my job. And financial independence gives me the wherewithal to speak. And by the way, I've literally gotten thousands of emails, texts, letters. I can walk you back to my office and show you some of them. them. They come in every day. Okay, piles of them, okay? People saying, Bill, thank you for speaking on behalf of all of us and you know my biggest driver in life i should have answered your question differently this started pretty close to when i was 18. biggest driver was independence i wanted to be able to speak freely live my life and that motivated me to be successful and you know i argue with success also comes responsibility if i see something that's a problem in society i want to do something about it and there are a lot of people who have a lot of money a lot of resources you know what they sit on their yacht which is fine and they live their life and no one's going to criticize them, or maybe they catch them on the yacht, they'll criticize them, yeah, right. right? In my case, I want to, you know, when I'm 85, looking back, I want to say, you know what, I helped solve a number of important problems. If you can't tell by now, I'm a fixer, <laughs> okay, right? What is shareholder activism? It's fixing
2: companies. What is this helping to fix universities? It's all the same. Okay, let me just have one, one more question about that, and then I want to talk about the Harvard Endowment, which is, if you go back, you, you have a track record in which you fix things and sometimes you fix them and you win in a very big way. You also fail in a big way too, right? I, you could even argue that you're somebody who hits Grand Slam home runs and, and, but also has a whole bunch of strikeouts throughout the process. Actually, I don't
1: think it's accurate. Uh, if you look back at our history, we've had some big losses, sure, but the successes vastly overwhelm, vastly overwhelm the failures. Like the, the success rate is extremely high and you should look at our record over time. So right. Valiant and Herbalife, Right. Disaster. Okay. J.C. Penny, smaller disaster. Try to name 10. Right? We've made 100 investments. Well, more than
2: 100. Let's, let's talk about the next fight uh, that I, it okay. appears to be on your hands, which is that you are supporting, I think, at least the, the reports have been that you're supporting uh, an overthrow of the folks who control the endowment at Harvard. Not accurate. So Harvard
1: has a board of directors that elects itself. This is the most important board, it's the Corporation Board, right. called the Fellows of Harvard. They really control who gets, who's the president. Then there's a group of alums mm-hmm. that are part of something called the Board of Overseers, right. about 30 or 32 of those. Each year, there are five or six seats that come up for election. In light of everything that's gone down on campus, uh, a group of four uh, alumni, uh, a very, very impressive group, uh, you know, Navy SEAL, Marine, Navy, all military people, but also brilliant. I know one of them, uh, a guy named Alec Williams. You know, Princeton, and he did a joint degree at Harvard Business School in Yale okay. while he was going to Afghanistan. <laughs> okay. uh-huh. like, super impressive guy. They're very unhappy with what's going on uh, on the Harvard campus. And they're gonna, they need 3,200 signatures. By the way, if you're a Harvard alum, go uh, sign up and back their campaign. And they're going to put themselves up for election uh, to, to be on the board of overseers, which doesn't have a lot of control. But the benefit of supporting them is it sends this incredible message to Harvard. It gives them a mandate to look at things. And their platform includes uh, one of the issues they're concerned about is the Harvard endowments earned something like a 4.5% compounded return uh, for a decade in one of the best bull markets in history. I don't, you know, I'm not allowed right. to disclose what our record has been during the period, but the Harvard endowment would probably be you know, $500 billion <laughs> or something if right. they invested in purging instead of whatever they invested in. And so they're going to look into that.
2: So you think there's, what are you suggesting?
1: Well, uh, since we, uh, you know, what's interesting about being in the position we're in is we get inbounds. I'll share a couple of interesting inbounds, and I guess the world will tell you whether they're true or not. So Harvard lost, apparently, a billion dollars on a fraudulent situation. They, what, was, a, what fraudulent situation? Apparently, they bought like a forest in the Amazon from Brazil, and the, they included in their returns mark-to-market gains on the forest. Right. Right? But apparently, they relied on marks each year from the person who sold them the forest, kept telling them that it was increasing in value. Until they, at some point, right. that, bad things happened, it blew up and went to zero, and they had to write it off completely. At that point, it was worth over a billion dollars. So the employees who were getting right. paid incentives based on the increased value of this forest uh, benefited. And then Harvard took a huge wipeout. That's never been disclosed publicly. Again, I have no- We're going to have to fact check that. We're going to have to fact check that. I'm saying this is something I heard from a very, very credible source. That's one. The second one I heard was that a president of Harvard had a view on interest rates and decided and told the endowment to make a derivative bet on rates. And that bet lost a billion
2: dollars. Okay. So I got a couple of Well, couple I want to follow up on that. I'm a little anxious about Wait. putting that out there in the public without, without being able to fact check that in real time.
1: Yeah. Well, by uh, the way, Harvard's not a publicly traded thing. You don't have to worry. Harvard should put out a statement. Is it true that the pr- president of Harvard uh, did a derivative trade, in fact, caused the endowment to do a derivative right. trade that lost money on rates, about a billion dollars or anything close to it? And is it true that Harvard had an investment in a forest right. in South America or otherwise? that they marked a market each year, they paid a few hundred million dollars for it, increased in value to something approaching a billion, and
2: they were forced right. to write it off. Let's ask the question instead of presenting right. it as fact. Um, we have to wrap up, uh, but, but- I, I have I, so I, much more to say. I know you do. Uh, <laughs> I, I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna end with this. Uh, when all of this is said and done, yes. do you wanna be known as an activist investor? Do you wanna be known as something else? Uh, I think there's a real question sort of who Bill Ackman is supposed to be in all of this in the end. Sure, I
1: wanna be known as a good person cares about society, uh, a patriotic person who loves his country, uh, a loyal alum that wants to help its university, a loving husband who wants to uh, take care of my beautiful wife, uh, and someone who really cares about the truth and is prepared to go all in when important things show up and I have the ability to affect change. Bill Ackman, thank you very, very much
2: for the conversation today.
0: That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. The Squawk Box team is heading to Davos, Switzerland this weekend for the World Economic Forum. I got a pack still. Stay tuned to this feed. We have a great lineup of business leaders and global CEOs joining us, and we'll publish them right here in a series of special podcasts. Please listen and follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Squawk CNBC for video clips of our guests, or you can tweet us your comments or your best cold weather recommendations right there. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This podcast is produced by me, Katie Kramer, and Cameron Costa. John Lazration is our editor. Wall Street is closed Monday in honor of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, so we'll meet you back here on Tuesday. Have a great weekend.